When the priest Pashur, son of Immer, the chief officer in the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in the stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. The next day, when Peshur released him from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, The Lord's name for you is not Pashur, but Megor Misabib. For this is what the Lord says. I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. With your own eyes you will see them fall by the sword of their enemies. I will hand over all Judah to the king of Babylon, who will carry them away to Babylon or put them to the sword. I will hand over to their enemies all the wealth of this city, all its products, all its valuables, and all the treasures of the kings of Judah. They will take it away as plunder and carry it off to Babylon. And you, Pashur, and all who live in your house will go into exile to Babylon. There you will die and be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. O Lord, you deceived me, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name. His word is, is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering. Terror on every side. Report him. Let's report him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip saying, Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our vengeance on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Well, if you take a road trip from here, and if you head east on Highway 80, heading towards the east coast, there's an exit sign that whenever I drive Highway 80, pulls me toward that exit. I've never actually taken the exit, but I'm always tempted. It's the exit towards the town of Johnstown, Pennsylvania. As a history buff, I always want to go there. Maybe some of you know the story of Johnstown. 
Pennsylvania. Back in the late 1800s, during the, the steel boom, Johnstown, Pennsylvania, was home to the Cambria Ironworks. Okay, it is a town nestled deep in the, in the valley with mountains on either side, just a couple-hour train ride from, from Pittsburgh. Right? And the little Conahee River uh, ran down the middle of it, and 14 miles upstream was the South Forks Dam that, that managed the river and created Lake Conahee. This area of the country was so beautiful, so peaceful, that uh, years after the dam was built and the lake was formed, both the lake and the dam were purchased by a group of wealthy investors out of Pittsburgh, and they built the South South Fork Fishing Club, Fishing and Hunting Club. It It was a club for people with last names like Carnegie and Mellon, for career congressmen, for big business owners, for bank presidents and railroad executives and and lawyers. And as owners of that new dam upstream from Johnstown, Pennsylvania, they felt free to make some changes to it. So so they lowered the dam a little bit so they could build a road over the top of it. And and there were the release pipes underneath the dam that were, I think they were made out of copper or something very valuable. So they pulled those out to sell for scrap because they were so valuable. And these seemingly insignificant changes to this dam that had been there for so long brought some concern, some, some words of warning from people who knew. Those who knew engineering, like the head of the Cambria Ironworks down in, in Johnstown, warned them of looming disaster ahead, which was all the more likely with the rim of the dam lowered and the release valves gone. But he was really pretty much the only voice of warning and so they easily brushed him off. They easily ignored him. Okay. Then came May 28, 1889. Pennsylvania received rains like they had never received before. And three days later, after that storm rolled through, the workers were desperately on top of that dam, trying to build it up, trying to keep the lake from cresting over this earthen dam, which would certainly wash the whole thing away. And while they worked, recognizing that that time was not on their side, they sent three different messages down to Johnstown. Watch out. The dam might fail. But it was a beautiful day. The weather was gorgeous after those storms had rolled through. So the people down in Johnstown didn't worry. They didn't feel like they needed to worry. And so they didn't do anything. And the dam broke. It released 16 million tons of water that cascaded down that valley. With mountains on either side containing it, the water grew to a wall of water 60 feet high, traveling 40 miles an hour. And as it rushed down this valley, it it wiped out little villages and communities on its way. And, And so it collected trees and collected houses and it collected animals. It collected barbed wire from the barbed wire factory that it washed away. And it rolled all those things at the front of its wall of water. And it came down and it crushed the city of Johnstown, killing 2,208 people on that beautiful day. It was the largest loss of civilian life in the United States at the time. It's only been surpassed now by the 1900 Galveston hurricane and by 9-11. And for years, 
For years the warning had been given. Watch out, disaster is going to come to you, Johnstown. We should all do something about this, right? And all the warnings that came from that head engineer in Cambria Ironworks were ignored. And even that day, as disaster was looming, they continued to ignore the warnings. That is the story of Jeremiah, right? Lived out thousands of years before. God calls Jeremiah the prophet, who we started looking at last week, and, and we're looking at for two weeks after this. And I hope that you're spending time this summer trying to get through the book of Jeremiah. God called him to be that voice of warning for a nation, right? He told the nation of Judah. He told the leaders in the capital city of Jerusalem. He said, watch out because your 587 is coming. The most painful, the most destructive the most hurtful moment of your life is on its way. Their flood was going to be Babylon rushing down from the north as a battering ram to crush Judah and to crush Jerusalem. And Jeremiah's message to them was now is the time to come back to God, right? Now is the time to choose faithfulness to him. Now is the time to choose his mercy in the face of disaster before it's too late. And the people of Judah didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to believe it. They didn't want to change from the lives that they chose and that they liked. So if you hear last week, we learned from Jeremiah just how difficult it is to speak God's truth to a world and a culture that doesn't want to hear it. Right? We left Jeremiah standing at at the potter's workshop with a, a flawed clay pot shattered on the ground in front of him as a word of warning to the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah of what was going to happen to them. And also an invitation to choose mercy, to listen to his warning. We heard God's call to us through Jeremiah for us to be faithful, to faithfully speak his truth even to a world that doesn't want to hear it from us. But, but we, can't, we can't give that calling for us to live out and speak out the truth of God. We can't give that calling honestly without acknowledging the struggle that all of us will face if we faithfully speak God's truth in love. Yeah, I, I do love that image of Jeremiah standing at the potter's workshop with that shattered clay pot at his feet. And it was kind of fun for me to throw that pot down last week and watch it shatter. That's kind of a good time. You don't get a chance to do that very often. Right? So I love that image of Jeremiah. But what happens to him afterwards? What happens to him immediately after he, he takes that bold stand and tells everybody, look, this is what's going to happen to you. Choose God. What happens after he speaks truth in love faithfully? Well, we just heard it in the scripture reading that you heard from Jeremiah 20. Right? So, so the priest Pashur, who probably was one of the ones, one of the leaders standing around Jeremiah watching him smash that pot, does he say, oh, you're right, Jeremiah. Thank you for the words of warning. No. He has him arrested. He has him arrested. He has him beaten. Then he puts Jeremiah in the stocks overnight, a humiliating and painful punishment. That's your reward 
for being faithful, for speaking God's truth and love. And so when Jeremiah is released the next day, you heard, you heard the words that he spoke. He speaks those words of warning to Pashur again. Right? He boldly says, look at what's going to happen to you unless you change. He doesn't change his story at all. But after, after he stands boldly in front of Pashur, we get to see him as he goes off and has a conversation with God. A serious one-on-one conversation with God. We get to see in chapter 20 a profound glimpse into Jeremiah's heart that is seriously wrestling with his calling from God. Because being faithful to God is bringing him nothing but grief and pain and sorrow and loss. And he is honest to God with his complaint in verses 7 through 18. And I'm glad we get to see this honesty from Jeremiah. Because if you and I choose, as we were challenged to last week, if we choose to be faithful to God in the middle of a culture and a world that doesn't want to hear his truth, that doesn't want to hear the words of warning spoken to them, then you and I are going to end up wrestling with God too. We're going to have reason to complain. Because like Jeremiah, there will be times when we are going to come to God and we're just going to want to quit. Times when we just don't want to be God's faithful people anymore. We just don't want to be the ones who who are called to speak his truth anymore. Because honestly, it can be a lot of hard work with little reward. Right? It can take a lot of sacrifice. Before we eagerly sign up to be one of God's faithful people, yes, God, I will be your faithful child. We need to honestly know that that commitment comes at a cost. Jeremiah is not rewarded for being faithful to God, at least not in this life, not on this earth. He is punished consistently for doing what is right. So those of you who have started reading through the book of Jeremiah, you may have already discovered this, right? Jeremiah is, is virtually the one faithful voice in the nation of Judah who stands for what's right, who stands for what's true, who's standing boldly for God. And as a result, what does he receive for his faithfulness to God? Well, either you have read or if you're reading, you will read here in chapter 20, right? He, as a result, he's beaten He's put in stocks overnight. He's humiliated. You'll get to chapter 26 where he speaks boldly the truth of God. And as a result, a mob takes him to trial. And and he's just about put to death by that mob. You'll get to chapter 36 where, where Jeremiah writes on a scroll all his messages. His first draft of this book. And it's a long book, right? And And in faithfulness, he brings that book to the king to say, King, here's your warning. You have to remember, writing on a scroll in those days wasn't like typing on a computer. It was hard work, a lot of effort. And he takes that scroll, he gives it to the king, and the king reads it. As he reads a section, he rips it off and throws it in the fire. Reads a section, rips it off, throws it in the fire. Rips it off, throws it in the fire. Until Jeremiah's got nothing left. Back to square one. Let's start on over again. You'll get to chapter 37. 
where a mob gets them again. And this time, in anger, they don't really want blood on their hands, so, so they take him and they lower him into a cistern, into a well, and they walk away, and they leave him to starve to death there. In fact, the whole second half of the book, Jeremiah is under house arrest. He's arrested by the king, forced to live in the king's courtyard, can't go out and see anybody. Jeremiah is human just like the rest of us. Right? This is all after God told him, you know what, you can't get married, you can't have a family, and he's got no friends. He's human just like the rest of us. That's not a fun life to live. He doesn't enjoy these things. And Jeremiah lets God know in verses 7 and 8 that if this is what being a faithful prophet brings, he'd just soon quit. Here's my resignation letter, God. I'd just soon not do this. Who would want this? Who would choose this? Jeremiah would. And Jeremiah does. Of course, he doesn't like being beaten. He doesn't like being threatened. He doesn't like being lowered into a well and left to die there. I'm sure Jeremiah would much prefer to be happily married, to, to spend time with friends, to have a place on, on the shores of the Mediterranean where he can go on the weekends. He'd love that. But he's willing to endure whatever comes his way. Because he cannot keep silent. He can't do it. In verse 9, he tells us that he's tempted to try. In fact, he does try. He decides, fine. I'm just going to stay quiet. I'm not going to mention God anymore. I'm not going to speak on his behalf. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. And if I just keep my mouth shut, then everything will be easier. Everything will be better. He's... He's just going to walk away, and he can't do it. He can't do it because Jeremiah knows that disaster is coming, right? He knows that the dam upstream is about to break. And how can he keep that warning to himself? How can he be that unloving, right? That unloving to all the people who are about to be crushed, how can he ignore this profound opportunity that is given to him by God? He can't. Right? I love what he writes in, in the second half of verse 9. He writes, his word, God's word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones, right? Because he's trying to keep it in. He's trying to stay silent. His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. He can't hold it in. He said the same thing back in chapter 6. He asks in chapter 6, to whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. Right? So nobody's listening to me. Yet he goes on to say, but I am full of the wrath and the words of the Lord, and I cannot hold it in. Right? When you know the truth, the truth that could set people free, the truth that could save their lives, 
the truth that could spare them unbelievable suffering and sorrow. How can you stay silent? How can you choose just to keep it in? If you had somehow known that earlier this week, the fire was going to break out of the Grenfell Tower in London, if you had somehow known that was going to happen, would you have stayed silent, knowing that at least 58 and probably more people were going to be burned to death? Would you just stay silent and let them go? If you had somehow known ahead of time that early this week there was going to be a shooting in Virginia or a shooting in San Francisco like there was last week, would you have just said, oh well, and stayed silent and let them proceed? Go ahead and let them, let them be shot. I'd hope not. I hope I wouldn't. I would hope that like Jeremiah, it would be impossible for us to hold those words prisoner inside when we have the opportunity to warn and to rescue and to save. And that is, my friends, exactly where we stand along with Jeremiah. Jeremiah knew that God's righteous judgment was coming and he could not hold that, he couldn't keep that a secret. Because he knew the way to to God's mercy and grace and was compelled to speak that truth, compelled to speak those words of warning and hope, even to those who didn't want to hear it. That's where you and I stand today. You and I know about God's righteous judgment. We know that here in this life, God has taught us in his word the best way to live. Right? Choices in life that will bring wholeness and healing instead of pain and sorrow. We know that direction. How can we keep that truth quiet? Can we say, go ahead and live that the way you wish. I'll let you go to pain. I'll let you choose sorrow. Are we really going to just let them go without God's direction? Jeremiah couldn't. And we know even more than Jeremiah, don't we? We know about the judgment coming at the end of time. We know that our God is a God of perfect justice with the keys to eternity and that all of us will stand before him someday. And we also know that our God in his mercy and his grace has provided a way out from the guilt and the punishment that is rightly ours. We know that in Jesus through the forgiving power of his death and resurrection, we can be assured that we are forgiven. We can be assured that we are set free from our guilt that would condemn us forever. And we can know without a doubt that we will be welcomed home by our heavenly father to experience eternity in his presence forever and ever. And we know now that God has entrusted you and I with that truth through the power of his Holy Spirit. He's entrusted us with that hopeful truth, first of all, because he loves us and he wants you to spend eternity with him. And secondly, he's entrusted it to us because he wants us to now be the voice of warning and invitation to this world around us. We have the message of hope and rescue that this world desperately needs to hear. Can we keep silent? Can we keep it contained within these walls? 
Can we look around at the world around us, at the people around us that we work with, who live next to us, who we go to school with, and can we say, okay, can we be okay with just letting them continue on the path they're on? Are we okay to just let them live lives that will bring emptiness and pain? Are we okay to let them head towards eternity without Jesus by their side? Are we okay staying silent when God commands us to speak? You know, Paul makes it clear in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that God wants all people to, to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. Do we share that same passion that God has? Can we keep silent when we know there's a way out, when we know about God's saving grace? Jeremiah couldn't. He could not stay silent. And you know what? He continues to speak. He faithfully speaks words of warning and invitation, and his situation does not change one bit after this complaint. By staying true and staying faithful to God's call remains as difficult as it had been from the beginning of his ministry to the very end of his ministry. But the fire of faithfulness burning in his heart the fire of love for God's people does not let him give up. It's where he ends up landing in verses 11 through 13. He lays his complaint before God. He says, God, this is miserable. I feel like you've deceived me. I feel like you've betrayed me. And in verses 11 through 13, he remembers that God's strength will ultimately defeat his enemies. He remembers that God will rescue the righteous. He remembers that God will always be faithful. And so he commits himself to faithfully continuing in the call that God has given him. In the end of verse 12, I think it ends with some profound words. After all his complaint, after all his sorrow, after all of his suffering, he says, to you I have committed my cause. Right, he signs on again. I'll do it, God. I'm fully committed to you. His commitment to faithfulness and to God outweighs and overpowers whatever cost he needs to pay. Now, as we live our daily lives, you and I, we are proving again and again if our commitment to God outweighs and overpowers the cost that comes with it. Because faithfulness is not designed to be easy. It takes a deep commitment to God and it takes a deep commitment to his people. God has entrusted you and I He's entrusted us together with his salvation truth. He has shown us the best way to live here in this life. And he's shown us the one open door to eternity, which is Jesus Christ. We know the future. We have that. Now what will we do? Will we be the voice of warning and the voice of invitation? 
Will we love the people around us enough to not be silent, but instead to speak and to act? Will we love God enough to be obedient to him no matter the cost, the real life cost? That's the question for us to answer here. Are our hearts on fire like Jeremiah's heart was? He couldn't keep silent no matter how hard he tried because he loved the people around him. And he could not bear the thought of letting them suffer, of letting them die when he knew there was another way. When he knew there was a way out and a way through. He couldn't keep silent because he loved the people around him and he couldn't keep silent because he loved God. And he knew that God had called him to speak and he'd be disobedient if he stayed silent. His heart was on fire. Burning with God's message of truth and salvation. You and I need to answer. Are our hearts on fire? Are they on fire enough for God that we will be faithful? Are they on fire enough for the people around us in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, in our schools, all around the world? Are they on fire for those people that we can't keep silent when we know the truth? Will we have the courage and the confidence to speak? Will faithfulness outweigh and overpower the cost that will come. I pray that it will. Let's pray that together. God, you know how hard it is for us to choose a path that is difficult. Why would we choose pain? Why would we choose suffering? Why would we choose sacrifice? Why would we choose to be uncomfortable when staying silent would bring us comfort, would bring us ease, would bring us all the good things that this world has to offer? You know how tempting it is for us to choose that comfort and safety and security over the cost that comes from faithfulness. But Father, you also know the price that must be paid. Father, give us a clear warning. Give us a clear invitation to faithfulness, to trust you for the future even when life is hard. To trust you for hopefulness. To trust you for strength. To trust that your way is the best way. And Father, give us such a deep love for you and such a deep love for the people that you love that our hearts are on fire with your message of hopefulness. And give us the courage, Father, to be faithful, knowing that 
even in the challenges that that might bring, even in the suffering, the sacrifice that comes along with it, that it is well with my soul because we are standing firmly and faithfully on the rock that is Jesus Christ, on the truth that is you, Father. Give us that kind of courage to stand with Jeremiah and to speak your love to this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me, please, as the worship team comes forward? We're going to sing two songs in response.